Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is uh, our third show, and I am very fortunate to be with uh, one of my uh, favorite human beings, uh, Alexis Cruz. He's going to be joining us in just a moment. Before I bring him in, I'm just going to let you know how this is going to run. So if you are a part of the YouTube uh, live streaming audience right now, you can submit questions to Alexis in the chat, and we'll be getting to them over the course of the next uh, round 90 minutes or so of the program. Afterwards, I have some Scara artwork that I would, well, Chlorel, depending on how you care to look at it artwork that I'd like to show you at the end of the show, and we'll talk a little bit about next week's uh, guests. But before we bring in uh, Alexis, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Uh, Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend, and if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. These talent are working, and so changes can happen. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days and weeks on Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net on their respective YouTube channels. Without further ado, Mr. Alexis Cruz, my friend, one of the people that I think still has a, a sane voice out there who can who can speak truth to reason. So how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jeez. It's um it was wonderful to have you on uh for our game uh over the guess guess a month and month ago, month and a half ago now. What a stellar oh God, experience. Been... Yeah. To have to have uh, so many heavyweights in in one space playing a, a simulated Stargate adventure, um, that was cool. How are you holding up through this whole thing, Daddy? Uh, really easily, really easily. Uh, so yeah, like we were talking, it's it's a uh, the whole world stood still, and uh, you know most people are like what. Well, stop and smell the roses, take, you know, general platitudes throughout one's life of, of being present in the moment, what takes all of us years and years of trial and error. And, and so since the world just sort of stood still and I became a new dad at the same time, mm. it's been remarkably easy because I just stopped with it and uh, allowed myself to be where I'm supposed to be. You know, any other times I'd be raging about this or that or, politics this and spirituality that who knows but none of that matters anymore like my job is now to just produce the world of my son and uh you know i i I might otherwise be worried about work worried about you know 
friends and networking, who knows, all these things that we generally concern, none of that matters to me anymore. It's all about being with my son every day right now. All that's obviously going to change. Life does move on. Of we course. Have to go on the projects and what have you. But for now, to take a year, I've had a year now of just focusing with my baby and my wife. And it's been remarkable. Like, just really chill. And, you know, obviously, we are concerned for other people in the world that are not so fortunate. But we have to acknowledge, you know, the, the, the peace that we get. For me, my world is freaking amazing right now. Just amazing, you know. And I've been waiting for it. And I have to say, that I would, I've earned it. <laughs> some, man, we had some trenches and some corpses we had to. I know. <laughs> but yeah, get through. Now, you know. For sure. It's been a, a trying year for us on, on so many levels. And it's one of the reasons yeah. that I started the show uh, when I did. Um, it's, it's important. And you're right. You know, it, it, those colloquialisms, stop and smell the roses, count your blessings, all that stuff. It, it's so easy right now to say, and, and many of us are saying, you know, I'm having a hard time feeding my family. Sure, um, yeah. And that's I'm, legit. I'm going stir crazy. I have lost my have lost my purpose because you know my purpose was work, or my purpose was something that was you know, required large groups of people to get together. And it's it's so easy to just be dismissive and get real jaded about everything that's going on. Um, yeah, I that love was me. my life was work. Work was my life, and when it wasn't working, I was miserable. You know, and now none of it. For me, anyway, it's my kid is my life and making him happy and teaching him, you know, even when he's not happy, he's throwing his tantrums and all these things and working out the challenges and the math of that. Right. It's not just like making him happy, but like making this. Right, right. We have to begin the process of making you a productive member of society. Right. <laughs> <So>. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how has that in any way surprised you as a process? Um. The surprise was how right I was about how easily I took to it, like how naturally it's been coming. That was really the surprise because I always knew I'd be good at it. It was something that I'd always wanted to do. I always saw myself as a parent. Um, you know, I waited a long, long time to get the conditions just right. Um, yeah, you're not and, a young dad you know, by take, any means. No offense. Yeah, I did taking what, what life throws at you along the way. Um, so, yeah, so, so it, it, that it was like, oh, I was right. I was this right. I was incredibly right. This is amazing. And that was the surprise. You know, like, wow. Are you going to have any more? I'm good at it. Huh? you going to have any more? It, it, no, no, no. I think, I think we're, so there's a half answer to that. So we're, we're one and done. Uh, the regular way okay. uh, but we're open to adoption like we we are opening open to God bless you to increasing our family yeah. and, and we have a lot of love between myself and my wife judy my own family at large her family at large which is a, amazing you know not everybody gets along with their in-laws but mm-hmm. mine are amazing i love them and they that's, love me that's important you know if you if you get yeah. that that's great so we're we're surrounded 
with a lot of love and support. So we're very open to uh, adding to that, you know, and as, as conditions improve as well, you know, once mm-hmm. we get through all this, all these things, uh, depending on, you know, the next few years with Luke and how he grows up and what he's feeling. For me, uh, I, I'm one of three. There was two of us initially, and my sister came many, many, many years later. Um, but at first, so for nine years, I was the only child. And I hated being an only child. I couldn't stand it. I knew I wanted a sibling. I wanted to walk this world with partners. So that was a huge deal for me. I don't know that it's going to be that kind of a thing for for Lucas, right? Um, His mom is one of four daughters. So for her, it was the opposite experience, right? So we'll we'll see. So it's going to, you know a lot to do to, to just sort of see how life goes, but we're so totally open to it. Good for you. Now this yeah. right now it's, it's so important to find things that ground you. And I think you've for, for better or for worse kind of fell right into this and you're right. You, you affirmed some aspects of yourself that you suspected were there all along. And now it's just, yeah, let's go ahead and move forward. But you also said that you're, um, you're acting a little bit as well. Can you say anything? Oh, about yeah. Yeah. That? Yeah. Um, uh, I can't actually. Okay. Um, okay, but something's happening. Yeah, yeah, no, something's happening. I'm shooting this week, um, but I can't talk about it because I haven't done it yet. So okay. once I finish, uh, just because I don't, uh, I'm a little superstitious about work and stuff. So okay. uh, uh, and then you know, just giving the world the way it is. Right. I can't blame I, you at all. Until it's done, like I'm gonna sign out <laughs> at the end of my day. And then I get to, once it's in the can, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> then we can go. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> One of the things that I've been endeavoring to do with this project is to provide an oral history uh, for uh, the franchise and for the people who brought it and are hopefully again going to bring it to life. Um, and you are one of the pivotal keys to that, um, not only because of your talent and uh, the the contributions that you made to the fabric of the franchise, but also I think you provided legitimacy to the television universe because you and Eric, uh, later on Eric, uh, provided the, the same voices that were created for those characters and well, voices like in terms of the interpretations in terms of right, right, you know, right. who those people were from the movie Their point of view. into the TV right. show. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is a delight to have you uh, on to discuss Scara's legacy and Chlorel's legacy and Alexis's legacy as far as the franchise goes. So thank you for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Before we get into the thick of it, I would like to know, um, a little bit about who you were as a young person, uh, where you grew up, uh, who your early influences were, and uh, how that shaped the man that you've become. Wow. Um, all right. So uh, I grew up <clears throat> in the Bronx in New York City uh, back when uh, it was, you know, when Times Square was was sins central and like it was just a you know that that city that you saw on on tv and in the movies so that's where i grew up uh deep in the bronx doing all that um 
and you know there weren't very many of us doing these sorts of things becoming actors you know kids out of the bronx puerto rican kids out of the bronx um there weren't many people doing that but uh my mom was a songwriter when she was younger um was never able to go professional because in her generation you just didn't do that you know unless you were already came from the showbiz family who knew how to navigate it right but it was not the uh you know the the, the open industry that it is today mm. that entertains today uh, so uh, so that didn't happen so she sort of has so when when i was a baby she had these dreams for us um and i agreed <laughs> to it uh, i enjoyed it i had this little talent but i was an introvert too so it was you know i had to um balance that as well uh, and as much as you could be an introvert where, where we were growing up because it you had to either socialize and be successful at it mm -hmm. or get picked on and <laughs> you know to the back of the line so all that was part of those dynamics of surviving um so so she found eventually she found a, a an ad in a newspaper for showbiz magazine uh, at the time it was the, the it was the equivalent of backstage mm -hmm. at the time there was an ad for a manager or a personal manager and she sent in a photo of me and they called me in for an audition and i went in and rocked it at nine years old i sang and danced and did all my stuff was like, well, you know <laughs> and uh and they signed me for like three years right there and and the legitimate immediately uh auditions for commercials and stuff started coming da, 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 da. Uh, and it was amazing. It just sort of blew our minds. And then I booked the Cosby show, which was a huge, uh, huge thing win at, at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and it took off from there. So, so again, this was brand new for anyone like me um, at that time in that place. Uh, but for me, it was very much about uh, this was my ticket out of the Bronx. This was my family's ticket to social mobility, right? Uh, this was my American dream. Yeah. Uh, but, I, and I've talked about this before, but when, you know, while most people uh, and most kids, they, they think about, they dream about um, the arts and entertainment, especially as kids, you know, you're usually coming at it from, from this perspective of uh, fame and celebrity and lots of money and all these things and the sort of glitz in your eyes kind of thing, which is nat natural and it's normal and all of that is there and it's legit. But for me, it was always about peace and security. It was never about that. Those were things that were going to come along with it, right? Because you have to just, where, where I was, from my perspective at the time, there were plenty of people who had celebrity and money, right? I just looked at like, and they would be driving their, their drug dealer car. Like they were drug dealers and criminals all around me, right? you know? So, so in terms of being able to grasp it, like that stuff was everywhere. But that didn't bring peace and security, right. right? And that's what I wanted. And I knew early on that that's what would help me develop. That would help eventually. I'm like 10 years old thinking about this kind of stuff. Right? That's ridiculous. That's a lot. <laughs> but, that's that's a lot was, on a 10 year old shoulders. Like, and then eventually my kids, and I don't want my kids to be in the process. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like doing all this. so. So that became like what I was focused on, you know. And if you've ever, and I don't, I don't think I was. I was driven. I was extremely driven, but I don't now in hindsight, looking back, consider myself that special in that there are so many kids that are that driven. And when you get a kid 
you know, between eight and 12 years old who gets an idea in their head that they're like, this is what I want to do. This is me. This is, you know, you can't stop that because with that age comes all of this fire and energy and, and verve, you know? And if you, if that kid has the right support structure, it locks in. And that's what happened for me. It locked in. And I became my, my reason for my whole vocation was I'm going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a professional artist. And then I had to figure out what that was. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause it wasn't like here, I'm just going to be an actor. I wanted to be an artist because I did have influences and mentors. I had some incredible teachers. I was able to attend for high school. Finally, uh, uh, Fiorella LaGuardia High School of Performance, Performing Arts and Music and Art in New York City, the fame school. And it is a famous school be because of that. And we had, you know, our programs for all of the departments of music and art and dance and vocal and acting were top notch. Like these are the equivalent of what you would find at private conservatories, right? That do all of their, their showcases and stuff. Uh, it, was, it was hardcore. One of my favorite teachers was a uh, an old Russian director who came straight out of the Moscow art theater, right? Like oh. he went from there to come teach in my school. Hard as nails, probably. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> and like eighties, old man in the eighties, hard as nails, not like old man now in 2020 right. where we've even softened up. We're like, oh, well, my. you know, my firm hand is still velvet. Like, no, 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 no. This was like, if he could have beat us with a stick, <laughs> That wasn't legally allowed, but if he could have, he would have. Like it was that, you know, and it became the Moscow Art Theater. Like it's all physically, physical training and some acrobatic stuff. Like it was like, well, but he was hardcore about the, the, the techniques and the methods and the, the history of the theater. He had a love for the theater. And the two things that he taught me was that the theater was a temple and you can't worship properly unless you belong to it. And so that helped set me in terms of um, this institution that, uh, you know, that, that, that fills me, that educates me, that, uh, that is my venue that I would work through, et cetera. That was, it became something real. And then as an artist, I had to figure out, I had to make that expression real of, of the theater as a temple. And you can't belong to it unless you worship it. So what does that mean? What does, uh, how do I reverberate that idea in my life? and in my voice, uh, and it became so, and over time, my own spirituality started melding with my training as, as an actor, as an artist, mm. so that as I start, you know, we have our techniques of breaking down our characters, but it developed my empathy engine, which is a whole other thing that we have to put it, connect, in addition to learning lines and knowing where your light is and uh, tempo and pacing and all these sort of technical things. Uh, on, on top of that, this empathy engine needs to be fueled. So the spirituality mixed with that and in creating. So when I went to the theater, just walking in the smell of the scrims, the creaking of the floorboard, the give of the stage, the feel of the, the, the material on the seats, like all of these things brought me back to I'm like six years old in Catholic church and the drama of it and all the, the, the splendor and the art and the, the warmth that was mm -hmm. all of that. Right. And, and the communion that happens. And then you're there and you're watching the performance and you're like welling up and you're excited. And then you're sad and you're angry. All these things that happen, like this is church. 
it's church. So that's what I decided I wanted to be was a minister of this church, you know? Um, and then the second thing was uh, that the same teacher had, had impressed on us. He said, actors are the repositories of culture. And I was like, what? what do you... and, and it gave me enough pause that I decided to, to spend the rest of my life answering that question too. What does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Actors are the repositories of culture. Well, hell, how do I do that? What do I need to learn? What does that mean? What, you know, in the short term, it's it's we have to learn as uh, as much about people, how people live, how people have always lived in this place, in that time, in these given circumstances, and we carry them with us. And our ability to reflect that, like just shine a light on me, boom, and you get your your sto- your moment in time. So, if you're familiar, do you remember uh, uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one, yes. Ray Bradbury, right? Yeah. Um, And so, spoiler alert, but towards the end, you know, where everyone is assigned a novel, right? All of the the refugees, the survivors that he, uh, that Montag finds near the end when he escapes, right? Each one is a living book, right? Hi, I'm the great Gatsby. And he's memorized the entire thing. He just- They are the orator for that piece. Right. And so this is a similar idea in that uh, as actors- we develop this ability to have these personas and they, they come with their own stories and their own moments and times and their own contexts, right? The more we collect of that, it's sort of like, it's like being an anthropologist as a verb in motion, right? So we are living histories of the places and the people around us. So we, so, you know, in my case, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the repository of Gen X, <laughs> you know, with, with everything that comes with it. And I know a lot about it and I know how people are and I know the sort of the feelings and the vibes, and all these things. So it all goes into the work and it comes out in little ways you might not expect um, as, as we sort of thread them through. And, those, and, you know, people don't, you don't think about this subconsciously when you're watching a performance, but it's the thing that you feel. So when people are watching my work, I hope, um, and they feel connected to Scarro, they feel connected to, to Raphael, whatever uh, character I'm playing, whatever story they're watching, the, the substance of that connection, that feeling, is part of this alchemy that I've started cooking up and I put into the lines and into the scene and all this stuff. And so, and, and, and that feeling, those vibes connect. It's hard to describe because in the practice and in my head, it's it's so uh, it's like the science alchemy that's just difficult to to get out. But it it, it there's a method to it, so that it's very uh, intentional. If that yeah, does that make sense? You Bob? you you take a a a page, and your your goal as an actor is to do justice to the dialogue and your part in a story um, to help push that story across to the audience. What roles in this experiment that you've been invested in for the past few decades in trying to discover uh, what your, what your role is in terms of uh, conveying stories and conveying culture through stories, what roles 
besides Scaras, really resonate with you and why? Uh, of the ones that I've done, you mean? Ones that you've done. Okay. Um, uh, sure. Uh, so, Raphael Untouched by an Angel was uh, oh, an important one. Yes. Uh, you know, and on the surface, in first in the in the obvious sense because of, of what it was and, and the audience that it went out to and it was such a big show um but but also because again context and timing mm-hmm. back then when that first started happening and i'd first gotten that we were still very much in the throes of uh what will middle america what will the bible belt say about this thing of color, right? Will it play in Peoria? Now, most people, most people understood, because what is, we're talking like sometime 97 mm-hmm. to 2000-ish, right? Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of people who have, who already know the answer of like, it's the same as everywhere else, you know? It's not like the, the Bible Belt is not a bunch of backwater hicks, you know, even though that's, right? Any more than... Well, some people like to think that. <laughs> any more than New York is a bunch of animals, right? right? Um, you know, running yeah. around the streets, right? So, but that was in the air. That was the culture. Mm. That was the perception in the industry. Mm-hmm. And in any of this, you know, when you're having casual conversations with people, like that's the, the, the nonsense, superficial impression people have Mm. so we were still very much in the throes of 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 who are the the people of color that we look up to and we and you know a lot of those barriers hadn't been broken yet we were in the process of breaking all of those things down and so it was just at the end of that and here comes my character and the producers were really wonderful about it because they understood this too um uh, they, they were making a show that was universal and it wasn't designed to be about, well, here's ham, let's hammer this thing of like, here's God's message from a black woman, from a, 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 a Chinese man. Or, like, we just want to get the word out and j- just do the show. Mm-hmm. So, but all those politics were involved. So with that, what I, what I was proud about was, they got me on the show and I managed to do that. And sure enough, like our ratings and the feedback for my part in it was stellar. It was amazing. And it really took, like there were a lot of people who really just ate their words, you know, not when it came to me, cause it wasn't, or I never felt anything on there where it was a personal thing of like Alexis can or can't. It was, can we have these kinds of angels? Can we tell these types of stories? to our audience that's mostly based in Utah, which is not true, but that's what they would say, right? But you got a business that's creating this show. I mean, for better or for wrong, they make certain assumptions, so. Right, right, right. So the producers were really wanting to push that and say, no, this is bigger than that, and this is better than that, and people are better than that. And she was right. She was 100% right, and I was there for it, you know? Uh, That's right. And there was, and and it, opened at least cracked open some windows let's put it that way right and i'll i'll give you a sort of funny side story do you remember the comedian paul rodriguez yeah yeah okay so that was right so i was driving in my car one day and i'm listening to the radio and this guy is on the radio he's called in or right 
uh, no, he's he's a guest on the show, and he okay. starts talking about he's he goes into his his comic routine bit, uh, and it was all about uh, uh, you never see Latinos in these shows, you never see Latinos here, you never see Latinos here, and of course, so he had to go and goes touched by an angel, right? There's all these white people doing this and this and this and this, and I was on my car and I'm like, this mother, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, come on. So that was in a thing. And here I was on the show. I'm like, you don't even watch it, man. Della like, Reese, you know, I, we, we tuned in and I was, you know, when I, it was, it was, I was 11 years old when that show started. You know, I mean, you were, you came into it obviously later, <laughs> but Della Reese made that Roma Downey made it too. But I mean, we were waiting for her to pull out a loaf of bread and start munching on it. And, you know, yeah, come on. And it was, we yeah. love, we, and my household loved Raphael as well. So it well, broke then, some barriers. With the, thank you. Thank you. And with, with the story too, in terms, because we had, um, the producers had sat down with me early on when, right before I started uh, to ask me and work with me on like, what did I want this character to be about? They had, they had a, a few ideas mm. and where he sort of fit into the, their cosmology yeah. for the show because yeah. there was they their their whole the, the conceit of the show was that god ran this social service bureaucracy it's a hierarchy yeah right well no it was literally this was the conceit it was it yeah. was a bureaucracy like you would go to social security office and you have all the people there and you have some lady with the glasses and they're putting in your thing <laughs> oh yeah but that's right yeah like this was how they imagined it's set up and that God goes and sends us, sends these little agents out to be doing what we were doing. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, that's neat. So part of, of what we had come up with my character was that he was a kind of uh, 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 special agent undercover, special agent. So they would send him in to, to, um, to embed himself in places where other angels and other people wouldn't go or shouldn't go. He was able to talk with people that I would think that Roma Downey or Della would not have been able to, you know, right. because he was younger right. as well. And so he right. was able to well, talk and, with a lot and, of young, younger guys too. And people in place. Yeah. People in places that, uh, uh, again, that were unsavory, that were dangerous, uh -huh. that were, you know what I mean? That, uh, uh, so this is sort of, you know, we were sort of giving a, a, a a light to this idea of, of the angel with the dirty face, right? Um, which I really dug because I love playing. So I was able to take this character and make it like this alias before alias was the idea, you know, and he would just show up and be in this constant. And I tried as best I could to like change my look <laughs> for as many episodes <laughs> every time, you know? And then one time I came back from a, a summer hiatus and the producers were really mad <laughs> because that summer I had gotten really tired. I was always a, a, a small, skinny guy. And that summer I was like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired <laughs> of just being a, a runt, you know? <laughs> so, Did you buff you up? Know, man? I, yeah, man. No, I got a trainer. And I, oh, boy, I hit it hard. I got ripped, way buff. Uh and I came back after the hiatus and they were all like, what happened to you? And they were all like happy. They were like, you look amazing. But we weren't ready for this, yeah. for the show. This, you're like a whole different person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my God. 
physical so there's transformation. There's some lessons there too. Oh God. Um, um, and then there was so just a yeah no just, please. Then there was a uh, the next one was unlike either of those things, uh, you had a uh, 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 stand up for justice the story of Ralph Lazo. And this was a short film. It was just a short. So again, in contrast to here's this big broadcast TV thing and here's this other franchise thing. This was just a short film, but it was based on the life of of Ralph Lazo, who was a a Mexican-American in the 1940s who uh, volunteered to go with the Japanese-Americans that were interned at Manzanar. A bunch of his friends, he was a teenager, a bunch of his friends were all taken away. And he just up and decided to go with them because that's what you do when you take care of your friends. Um, and that was his protest. And he stayed with them for three years as one of them as a prisoner in the camp. Um, and they just left him there uh, until, until they all enlisted him and his friends had to enlist to go serve overseas in order to get their own freedom as American citizens. So it was really crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. So this, but this story was super important. And as a Latino American, it was a story that I didn't even know myself. I didn't know about this guy, but the entire Japanese American community of Los Angeles knew this guy. Like there was such a deep reverence. Like I learned my part of my own cultural history from them. And that, that blew my mind. Right. But so being able to, to do a biopic, cause this is a real person. Cause I love mm-hmm. biopics. I love the idea of, cause again, back with the empathy engine, back to the, the, the intertwining of the spirituality, the, the, uh, repositories of culture, right? When you have a, a, a biopic bio and you have to play somebody real. Correct. I think a lot of people might focus on their mannerisms, the way they speak, the way they've been, and all these things, um, where I sort of go more for the vibe, the representation. I do those things also as best you can. But ultimately, I found, not just with my process, but as I watch biopics in general, all the best ones are not the ones that had every tick down, but the ones that just sat in the spirit of this person, right? And just presented this person to you that you just, you believed it, even though like, they don't even have to look anything alike, right? But he had, they had the same presence, the same manner, right. all, all these, these kinds of things. It's coming so across. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that kind of work and I want, so in terms of, again, as, as an artist, is to be able to do those kinds of things that let people um, sort of elevate their experience beyond just what was visually interest, entertaining, right? Um, not that everything has to be like deep, deep, deep all the time, but I think that the deep things that I choose to focus on that I think are interesting... Mm. I choose them for you guys because I think those are things that you'll find interesting also. Well, you, you, know? you, you have to make selections. You have, to, yeah. you have to do what you can with the time that you are given and the budget that, that you are given for, because obviously things are finite. Um, but wh- what, what time do I have? What resources are at my disposal? And, but also, how do I fit into the larger story? So there's also that There's also that box to, to color in as well. Yeah. So who you mentioned um, 
uh, your your Russian instructor. Uh, Alexis, who are um, your heroes? Who who are the people in your life who helped really to shape you in in to the man you've become? My mother and my father. Um, primarily my mother and my father, for all of the reasons um, that anyone who can say that would say about it. You know, mm-hmm. like I had a great mom who put me on my path. I had a, a great dad who taught me about being a man and being caring and strong at the same time, all these sorts of sorts of things. Um, so they were huge pillars for me. Um, and, and, you know, because then I'm watching their relationship as well as I was growing up. So it taught me how to treat other people, um, how to treat my partners and what was to, you know, expect all these things, which again are normal, but all these things that I was learning that they were impacting, I had to put into my work. So it was important that I pay attention to all these things. Beyond that, I take a lot. I was always really naive and really impressionable. Not so anymore, but for, most of my life, I always was. And unfortunately, I can't say that that didn't come with um, burns, you know, and, yeah. and, and consequences to that, you know, that is um, impacted on me to close my borders a bit and be much more discerning. Selective, yeah. And selective about that. Um, and so there was constant wrestling with, um, you know, protecting myself while still engaging while having other people that I want to engage with not think that I'm just being uh, uh, an elitist uh, jerk. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just, <laughs> you know, you have to do right by you, you know? Yeah. And you, so, not always, not always everyone knows how to do that, but after they've been, you know, throttled a few times, it's like, oh yeah, wait a second. I need to take care of me too. It's important. Right. So I, so, I, so, I, so to answer the question more succinctly, the, the, the in hindsight, like looking back now, everybody, Besides my parents, the people who made the most impacts along the way is were just always the people who challenged me and got in my way and told me no and all these <laughs> the things that I learned about navigating through things to get what needed to be done. Um, often case often on behalf of other people. Like it was very rare when I'm like, I want this for me. Very, very rare. It was always like, this needs to happen for all these people's benefits. So let's go and do this. And then there'd be obstacles in the way. Right. So each of those people, you know, those things uh, really made a difference. And I think I've, I've sort of ended up like, those are the little star charts mm-hmm. that I navigate the galaxy with, you know, is, is that kind of stuff. And then occasionally there's, um, you know, here's this beautiful planet and here's another bright star and here's these things uh let's go visit there for a while no (laughs) yeah 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 tell us about getting stargate how old were you um 16 weren't you sure we'll go with that it was 15 or 16 Uh, sure yeah that was 15 um and uh so, so my agent calls me uh and I hadn't, I hadn't worked at all in like a year and a half or something like that. I hadn't booked anything at all. Um, and for me, this was a, a living nightmare because I had been an actor now. Again, I'm a teenager now. So there was, I've been an actor since I was nine years old. 
And, and now I'm not working anymore. I thought this was the end of my career, the end of my life, what's happening, nobody's calling. Um, and it was bugging me a lot. It was causing a thing. It's, it was absurd. <laughs> but that's what happens. And this is part of the, well, you know, being young in something and growing up in the right. industry. And there's a lot of kids that don't get past those ages because no. of all of these um, anxieties. And, and all and kinds that, of horror stories that go along with it. Right, right. All of that stuff. Um, so I was tripping on it. But uh, but my agent calls me. He's like, look, I, I have this audition for you. And, and I have to give you the audition. I can't pass on your behalf. But I think this is garbage. <laughs> you're not um but i have to give this to you so basically um they want you to do this thing uh and it's three lines and none of them are in english and it's a low budget independent science fiction movie so i think you should pass alexis you should, you should it's not something you should do we have better plans for you right now while my agent was clearly wrong in, in the end of it all <laughs> I, I, I have to I have to point out and make a note that God bless him, like he loved me, and he was sincere about his intention to look out for me. You know, he's passed away. God rest his soul, Bob Waters. Um, but he took really good care of me. And he was interested in me. He he wanted me to stay uh, at BU and finish my degree there. And like he really, he was like one of those old time hands-on agency mm. was great so anyway so he says but I, I don't think i could do it now again i was desperate so i'm like i haven't worked doesn't matter just get me in i'll do it i'll do i'll do the audition there are no small parts only small actors right. right and i actually said that right with my little haughty <laughs> pretentious <laughs> in my head <laughs> so i went in for the audition and, and uh and it was all mine because there weren't there weren't any lines. Um, and in the, the script, the role was, was a very small role. Um, like his presence was there. Like the, mm. the plot points, as you know them, mm -hmm. were happening. Um, but the character that you came to, to, to know wasn't there originally, really, you know, in that, in that way. So... Uh, so it was all a bunch of mime and improvisation, and 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 I was there trying to, um, trying to connect with them because I was thinking in terms of here's Scar is an inquisitive, intelligent person, um, and you know most most of the times when you start seeing this uh, scenes where you you have a, a, a difficulty in communication and translations and stuff, you'll see often. It's a trope at this point, but the two parties will bumble back and forth. And at some point you're like, are you guys dumb? Like there are some universal human gestures for things Like you can work this out. It's just yeah. charades, <laughs> you know, but yeah. so scenes that tend to go on too long with that. And you're just like, so I knew I, I wanted to address that part of it because it is so easy for, and then especially adding in the, the narrative of the, the elder mentor and the younger protege. So there's that patronage going on, right? Um, so in order to really make that real and organic, you have to be careful not to fall into these very easy tropes of this is just how it is. Look at the relationship that you've already recognized from 12 other movies, right? We wanted to do something a little bit different. So I was really worked hard to, to get into our language 
the Egyptian language and know it really thoroughly, but also to listen very carefully for what O'Neill was saying, what Daniel was saying, um, how they were saying it. Because obviously, oh, these gods just showed up, just like these gods, but these are real gods. But I don't know their language, but I better understand what they're saying or else me and my family is going to get strung up. So that intelligence based on that survival instinct and how to do that and then how to communicate back so that even though I wasn't speaking any English, you understood what each of us were saying and doing it every yeah. single Intent moment. Intent comes right you across. With Boom, right? You, we, you speak with your eyes, with your tones. Um, and we had to do that especially because in the ancient Egyptian that we had learned, their vocabulary was much more limited than our vocabulary is now, right? Um, because we have so many more things yeah, in the world. Yeah, there are fewer concepts. Yeah, they don't have right. a microwave and radio telescope and, you know, right. full-service gas but station. But socially, yeah. socially, they were born, were raised, and lived, and died, and built things, and raised kids, and they did farm, and they, like, they had to... They were just as smart back then as we are now. We just oppressed. talked about different things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? they were so under it was about trying to get an alien get boot. that across. I'm sorry? They were under an alien boot. Yeah. Right. Oh. Right. Uh, and I, and I, I, I found for our part, I think that that made all of that a lot more interesting. And, I, and, and the, the turn when, when we get on board and we all rebel made more sense. Right? You, I think there was a... a a feeling that uh, uh, that these people were aware of their oppression mm. and were secretly hoping, looking for, dreaming, praying for this kind of a day and these kinds of saviors. But for hundreds of years or thousands of years, nobody could say anything. So it's it's just that that bit of angst and determination and drive that, however you quantify that is what we were going for to, to fill in the, the life of the film and the life of these relationships. So your agent says you should pass. You go in there. Tell us about discovery. I do that. I, I, I did this that I just the talked miming. about. Right. How big I, this thing but was. In this, what I'm saying is in this way, in the like, here's the realness of yeah. this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I think that's what they, they were like, oh, okay. And we all just clicked. And so then um, uh, we had a callback and then a third uh, screen test. And back then we did actual screen tests uh, where they flew me out for, to Los Angeles for that. So I go out, I do my final audition, um, handle that. And Dean is really excited. And he's excited about the production itself too, you know? So he's, he's a kid in a candy store who like just found his new co-conspirator <laughs> that he's to share this with. <laughs> so he takes me to the, the art production and he's showing me all the designs for the mastages and the ships. And he, um, and he pulls out, I don't remember which one it was, uh, but one of the, the figures, one of the action figures, mm -hmm. this is a prototype. You're all getting your own action figure. Bro, isn't this cool? Isn't this super cool? You get an action. I was like, oh my God, that's really cool. An action figure. It doesn't look like me. But this is... He's like, yeah, it's yeah. Still you. We made the deal before we did any of this stuff. So <laughs> this is what it is. So they made the toys first. You know, you gotta look. 
Uh, and that's how I found out that I got the part was really by Dean just sort of letting it slip right there in that moment that like, yeah, we're done. Now we're just shooting the shit, you know? <laughs> wow. Is that when you realize just how big a thing this had the potential to be? Did you know then that it was going to be a hit? Did you have those instincts yes. yet? You did. Yep. Yeah. Wow. We all we all did. Um, I couldn't tell you why or how, because I think a lot of us also had some skepticisms and different like, man, this is really cool. This is super, but but also this is super cheesy. And this is how this is going to happen. You're going to try to do what? Right. You know, things like that. But there was still a palpable excitement of whether it was that each of us clued in or Dean was just that damn good. And it could very well be the latter at, at being a producer that gets people excited about things. Cause we were all like everybody top to bottom, front to back was super mm. excited about this. Um, I know that he had a big, I don't know a, a lot of the other nuts and bolts and I was just a kid and not paying attention to that stuff. But, uh, for, but what I saw, he was a huge, uh, reason why 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 it was as successful in that regard but we knew it and it's not that we wanted to say because originally the they the plan was to make three films and my mm -hmm. original contract was for a trilogy so there was certainly all these comparisons to like we're making the new star wars we're making the new star wars now obviously that's a tall order there right by anybody's standards and we didn't really think that we were going to hit that measure. I don't, nobody could ever predict that exactly. But we knew we were going to get close. We knew that we were going to be in the same field, in the same conversation up there somewhere in that genre. You know, we knew that because this hadn't been done. And, and the whole idea of the, the whole, um, uh, ancient astronaut theory mm -hmm. that is so mainstream today, wasn't back then it was very very fringe so they managed to grab this concept um out of obscurity that was making sense to them they did it just enough research i mean at the end of the day it's still a popcorn movie but it's a popcorn movie based on something um so close to people's ideas of the the world and how things are made and at the very least for, especially for geeks it's fascinating you but know it's, it's still accurate geek. i mean like the egyptian is correct you know right that's how it would have sounded right well, with so, modifications <laughs> so well and that and that was that was it too right so so we had the uh we had an egyptologist mm. uh whose work was to vocalize this dead language nobody had spoken this language in three thousand years right what does it sound like how do we know what it sounds but him and his colleagues like this was their work this is what they did these anthropologists but they had never they're apparently they had been working very academically and you know, off different whatever they did with that but they didn't take it into a, a live lab with people um communicators these you know in in real time mm -hmm. and there's a dynamic there was a thing that happened because as we were trained actors part of that training is is why 
certain punctuations happen at a certain point, what the tempo is, and that's connected to the intention that I'm trying to communicate, which is connected to the timing that I have of your attention to look at this before I refocus it off. All these formulas that happen in, in your social interaction within a scene. Yeah, they're just unconscious. And it's unconscious. But all of that informs the sounds that we make and why we make those sounds. So there were a lot of times where uh, Stuart hadn't accounted for breathing or um, uh, uh, what's the word? how a proverb would differ in the telling from a joke, how a joke would differ in the telling uh, from a memory, right? Wow. These things. And that affects whether our A would be A or A or A, you know, then all these things, which we have rules for these things in English also, but we often don't think about why those rules or how in just our conversation. Look, this whole time I speak with my hands. This is like, <laughs> I paint pictures. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I will paint it for you. You will get, right? <laughs> It's... And it adds another level, you know, things to, to comprehend. So it's the same thing back then, too. And that's the same thing how we spoke in the film and how we adjusted to the language and how we bridged the gaps. Okay, you know how to say this word and you know how to say this word, but how do we get from this idea to this idea? Breath, smile, hear that question. Oh, and that, so all, it's hard to explain, but I'm mm -hmm. just sort of articulating the process take you through the life of it uh, through that process and it opened up a whole world for these anthropologists on what these uh, vocalizations could have might have would have been right because again we were trained with phonetics the phonetic alphabet mm -hmm. our breathing all these other things um, and they just hadn't conceived they were like oh whoa and suddenly Eric and me and Millie were there. We're having conversations on set. And he's just like, it's come to life. The whole, all in the Egyptians. And, and that does sound like I thought it was going to sound, but that wow. does not sound like I thought it was going to sound. But that's amazing, you know. And it went on and on like that. We were really, really proud of that work. And for me, um, at, at my young age, too, because I thought about things like this, um, and I wanted my life to have meaning. Um, you know, I, was, I, I had wondered for a long time, like, what is it that we're doing here? Like, should I go be a doctor? Yeah. You know, should I go be a rocket scientist? Should I look for life on Mars? Like, what is, what is you know, is, is what I'm doing really important? Why am I here? What, have, I, what here? have I been put here for? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this was a perfect, wonderful example in practice of like what we're here for. Like we added to humanity's, body of knowledge to the academic record through and because of our skills in this field because we were the repositories of culture that's what you're getting back to no it makes it makes a lot of sense you know what you what you talked about you know, with the working so hard to get the language right on, what you worked what you taught what you've taught not I, I'm, I'm spacing out my thought here. What, what you've talked about with, with working to get the language correct, you know, a, a pragmatist might say it's a sci-fi movie. You don't have to go off the deep end to it. It will be perfectly serviceable. Mm 
but it won't be exceptional and it won't be something that will transcend what it is that you're creating. So you know what? We're going to go ahead and do, we're going to go all in and we're going to make it authentic and we're going to get it correct. And that's, that's a wonderful testament to the work. Thank you. Thank you. I think it, you know, I, makes a difference between it's it's the thing there are lots of things that were made 30 years ago but very few things so there are lots of things that were made 30 years ago and there are many things that were made 30 years ago which we discuss today but there aren't very many things that we have never stopped discussing for 30 years and I think this is a good example of why yeah putting in the work, mm-hmm. making it, you know, being about more than just being serviceable is what makes that. That makes a lot of sense. I have a number of uh, questions for you about the show. But yeah, it looks like a lot of our I, viewers have. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm going to let the, a lot Sorry, of them yeah. have asked those questions. No, it's all good. Um, can I have you back in 2021 to ask some more of my questions? Sure. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> For you, yes. For you, yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Aaron Banks, John42, and Reno would like to ask, Alexis, what is the difference between Kurt Russell's O'Neill and RDA's O'Neill? And which one did you like working with the most for, for different reasons? I'm interested to hear your answer for this from, from your perspective about the difference between humor. Yeah, that's true. Uh. That, that was the key thing. And from, and from that, all things sprung. Uh, Kurt, Kurt's root, his anchor was the uh, uh, tragedy. Having lost his yeah. tragedy, having lost his son. And that was uh, his O'Neill's storyline. He was operating off of that. His entire persona, his whole life became about that. And therefore, anything new that came along that related to or had to pull him out of it, like the mission or things like that. Whereas with RDAs, I never got the sense that any of that was there at all. Like it didn't come up. It wasn't there. Uh, not not that it actually wasn't or anything. But the story plot is the, that he's dealt with it. Right. Yeah. He's so, digested that. So I didn't feel that in him at all. I didn't miss it. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm not. That's not a critique. That's just a notation. Um, but that wasn't there. With Kurt, it was very much there, front and center. So when he spoke to his soldiers. His command still came from a place of hurt. Mm. It's raw. Everything came from a place of hurt, you know? And it was fascinating. It was interesting. And because it's Kurt and he knows what he's doing, it wasn't just um, angry hurt or boo-hoo hurt. It was, it was just a vulnerability while he's being the general and he's arming a nuke, you get this sense of 
you know, he's an amazing actor who knows how to access those feelings mm. and project them so that you can see badass and softy at the same time. Like, that's an amazing skill to have. Yeah. And then put it into a story for us to watch, you know? So he did. So that was a, a major thing. Um, I think my preferred experience was probably with Kurt um, because it left the biggest uh, earliest impressions on me in a lot of different ways in terms of him being Kurt Russell, the star, and then him being Kurt, the person, and then him being Kurt, the actor that was teaching me things about how to be on set. Um, I had my first steak and eggs breakfast with Kurt, like little things like that, right? Um, the things he would talk about. This, and I was, again, at my young age, I was really naive. So that's gonna, that left in a, an impression that was different and to me a little bit more acute than an imp- the impression that RDA left on an older Alexis later on when they met, you know? That's a fair point. Um, so, so it was it was really so much of that is tied up in who I was watching what I was watching at the time. And there's such very different places, several years apart. Um, and and then with with Kurt, you know, I spent three months with Kurt, just three months, like every day, all the time. I never spent three months with Richard. That's true. Uh, right. Uh, we spent two weeks at a time and really three to five days in in, in real time because we didn't hang out afterwards or right. go get drinks or anything like that. So uh, three or five days at a time, once, twice every year. The relationship's going to be is different. Mm-hmm. And you were older too. You know? So. And and I was older, yeah. I was yeah. doing a lot of uh, other, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had different things on my mind. Of course. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've there, there's a subtext running here. Alexis has, has <laughs> well, had Alexis has had an, an interesting about me that doesn't have subtext. Well, yeah. The, let's just we'll just we'll just say Alexis has had you know. Um, an, an amazing journey, and uh, there was there was there was a there was a lot of stuff that was happening at the same time that that is one of the reasons that you weren't able to take SG one full time, which we will get into in the future. Um, but boy, am I thankful that you were there when you, while you were. Uh, Claire Burr, uh, what are your thoughts and feelings on your role in Shark being cut short, or was there a reason you had to leave the show? I'm not familiar with this question. At all? Do you? Can you answer that? Can you speak to that? No, I, I you know, I don't want to talk about shark. Okay. Uh, and maybe there, and maybe therein lies your answer. I understand the question, but okay. Um, no, in the end, in the end, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a highlight. Okay. Um, and not something that I care to revisit. I'm proud of the work that I did while I was on there. And I think it was the right work. I'll leave it at that till a later time. That's fair. Edward Stowers, Thomas Mahez, they would both like to know, um, was there any difference in playing Scar from the movie to the TV series for you personally, despite speaking in English finally? And how did that manifest in your performance when changing from Kurt to Rick? Uh, 
good, good question. Um, <clears throat> so in, it changed in the sense that uh, it was it was very different. I'm trying to find the angle of of, of approach because there's a lot of different of course answers that'll come meet in the central spot. So. Um, Taking taking Scara from the film, which is a a beginning, middle, end, closed circuit adventure journey, to something that was open ended, mm-hmm. and it was created and run and developed by people that I was not familiar with, and who weren't familiar with me, and I didn't have any input on that. I not and I didn't expect to. Right. Again, just making a notation. It didn't. Whereas in the first one, I did have input, yeah. right? Uh, so there was a, a, a connectedness, a sense of ownership of the process that I was able to have that I didn't have with the TV series. With the TV series, I was very, pretty much a, a passenger uh, mm. at the whims of whatever they decided to do with the character. Um, at various times, I had feelings about it one way or another at given times there were different things um but i was not in any position to uh do anything about that either way you know so all i could do was to take those things and ideas and as i usually do is i translate them into all right well how do i make this thing interesting in the delivery in the scene you know i have this feeling here i have this feeling let's put it into into the work and see what happens um so that's what I did. And I tried to, uh, you know, part of what I was navigating was the, the tonal differences between the film and the TV show. Our film was, popcorn as it was, was a damn drama. Like, this was. is a drama thriller, thriller yeah. you know. This was, uh, right, dark stuff. And then the, the, uh, the TV series was an adventure. Like in the beginning, they were trying because it was on cable, so it was for mature audiences. But it was, it was mo- so much more like Indiana on- Jones, you know. I mean, it's yeah, right, right. Uh, and later on, it became so. Now that said, I agree with the direction it went in, and it was absolutely the right way to go. This needed to be um, an adventure show for everybody. With I agree, whoop, little dark spinoff here, maybe a little bright kitchen over there maybe this other thing over there this is like there's room for stargate of different types right yeah um but in terms of like our mainstream touchstones we go from this to that to that so i'm good with all of that uh but there was a difference that i had to navigate so i'm going um what do i do with scara in because i understood that there's a certain expectation in the narrative for this you're you've grown up watching this young kid and um at his enthusiasm and his 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 ingenuousness and his his heart, uh, but there's a lot of very serious things going on and happening to him that oh changes that. And what became difficult was that everybody. It felt like everybody. When I say everybody, I mean audiences. I mean writers, producers, cast. I think everybody wanted to hang on to uh, the 
and they wanted to hug or something, the scar from the movie. But there was a circumstance being created that can't allow for that, right? And again, I wasn't writing this, but like the characters being changed in ways like, bro, how, if you went through this, would you be the same person? Right? And I'm sorry that people are sad that they can't hug the same person. <laughs> Jack eventually does in pretense, but still, I you mean, that, yeah, no, that was a, what a cathartic process though. I mean, you've literally right. played an angel in one show and a demon in another, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> seriously, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, this little kid caught in between. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was interesting because again, I didn't really have, a, so what I had to do was load that into the lines and the moments and the cameras and half the time like i was doing it around in spite of the script for the day you know the arc for the day the thing because um i mean i i can't speak to what creators intended but obviously nobody knows this character like I do and nobody Correct. can unless they talk to me you know you're free to do stuff <laughs> go ahead but at the end of the day right so so I, I was having to do that and I hope that it, it I hope that it shows ultimately that's will be what, I, what I'm proud of that you can see these scenes and you find you know if you can keep looking back on each episode I'm in and look back and find something new in the performance because I liked, like, it's like tempered steel. Like, I mean, you make a katana. And, like, that's what I try to do with each thing. Um, here's a layer of this. And then there's, a, again, like, there's a double entendre. There's a subtext to this. And there's a subtext to that. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of all that through Serpent's Grass, through uh, uh, all those episodes leading up to Pretense, when he's, he's flipping back and forth, when Chlorel is making all of his plans against O'Neill and these other people. And then he uses his the Scar persona mm -hmm. to trap them as bait and switch like there's a whole thing going on there not just with scar and chlorel and the people they're talking to but within himself to each other that's and correct cat and mouse game that they're playing psychically that i was like literally like in my head playing it out if you the watch back and forth with, you know if you watch those episodes as far as i'm concerned and it's not with most people you have with most actors, you have a character and you have their motivations and they have different levels to what they're experiencing and what's going on in their lives while the broader action is going on around them. Not only do you have that for uh, for your character, but you have two personalities that are fighting each other in the same body. Now, Chlorel obviously has dominance. But I think you would be wrong. You, you general, you because obviously not you. You would be, you would be wrong to say that Scara is just passively along for the ride because he's fighting right. every step of the way. I mean, he says in pretense every day, "I'm fighting him. I'm listening and I'm learning." You know, and that that had to be just exhilarating to play because you can play it any number of ways across any number of different takes. It's exhilarating now. Okay. In hindsight, that 
that it's over, it was done. And in that regard, it was successful and that story was told. Like, the thing blows up behind the car crash. Whoa, that just happened. It's sort of like that. It was not exhilarating in its in the going through it. Were you not satisfied with the direction that the character was going? I was never satisfied with um, its incompleteness. You're talking uh, post full circle. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing, what was started, where it went to, I just felt it very, very, very incomplete. Now, that said, again, like it's, hey, man, I'm not the star of the show. I wasn't available to be the star of the show. I didn't write it. I don't have rights. I don't, like, forget about it. Like, I got no say on this at all. And I'm not trying to say that I wanted to have a say. There's none of that, right? It's just that in hindsight, like, was I satisfied? Well, no, because it wasn't finished. It was, there was so much to do. And it couldn't be done. Because I wasn't a reg, I wasn't around for it. They weren't doing. There were other storylines for other people that got done and wrapped up and explored and all that. But you know, they were series regulars, and the production had the time and the interest and all that. Like that's what they were going for. I don't know. Cause nobody wants them to focus on like here's the Scara season. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> you know, and neither do I. <laughs> but the point is, but what was shown and what was what we were trying to do felt incomplete. Um, and then besides that is because when I'm getting into it, like there's a distinction between the Alex that is on set and the Alex that is inhabiting uh, Scara in that moment. So Alexis was thrilled for six years um, to be working with this cast and crew, to be hanging out with friends, to be taking trips to Vancouver, to, right? Thrilled about all of that. Alexis um, walking this character through kidnap and torture and hell and uh, oppression and freedom and doing all, like that was not fun at all, you know? Um, like I said, it's, all, it's fun in the post, but I, and, I, and I still remember and I still get uneasy about it. Like we all have tools to deal with all of that, but you know, if I had found it fun, I probably wouldn't have been doing it right. That's fair. Yeah. We, yeah. It, it's interesting. You, you, you come away feeling that, um, that, that, that the journey is incomplete. I can see on one side, one person saying, you know, he, regardless of, of how he achieved it, he has achieved a higher level of awareness uh, in the cosmos, he has become a being of energy. Um, and that's all she wrote. But you and I have had conversations particularly about about the method in which that was achieved in the show. And how that would leave a person or a society who was not necessarily prepared for that journey in a situation that they would have to figure out now that they have achieved a level of higher awareness when they didn't go on that journey for themselves, you know, they, well, they had the, they had the eject, the eject switch pulled on them 
because they were all about to blow sky high. Well, yeah, like, the, okay, so, so yeah, now, now we get into, there's a lot of details and minutiae there that is, to me, endlessly fascinating. We could, and we have discussed it. Right. I don't want to give those, I don't want to put it out there to the public yet, those specific things we've discussed, because those are great fun things for people to have their private conversations about. Yeah. Um, if I do end up doing anything with those ideas in the future, I'd like to be able to be able to do something with those ideas in the future. Um, <laughs> so we will get, you know, I just wanted to, to tap to, on that goblet, <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's, a good... you know, it's, it's the sort of thing of like, where if you, if you want, this is a great thing. If you want a, a, a full circle, nicely wrapped up story yeah. to feel good about, you got that. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it anymore. It's fine. Everybody's ascended. It's all good. <laughs> if you want to think about it beyond that and you want to get into it, and you want to go on some geek stuff and like, re you know, get into the real about what really might this be that in Stargate universe. Like, you want to get into all that, then we can get into that. Like then that becomes a, 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 a much more interesting in-depth conversation, but you can have either one. So those people that liked it and they want to just wrap it up and that's, that's their picture. And you got that. It's good. So Again, professionally, so back to the like satisfied or not satisfied, professionally, I couldn't not be satisfied because, yes, it, there's something serviceable was created for that. So professionally, that's all. Boom, done. You know, um, artistically, I think there's just more to mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 issue is is creating a, an opportunity um, to explore that kind of a story and also move the overall story forward. Mm -hmm. Robert Cooper and I had this conversation a few weeks back because uh, there are so many threads that were left open. Uh, Stargate SG One's mythology of the four great races is is one that's fantastic and been bandied about for years. Fans are like, go back and tell the story of the four great races, the people who built the Stargates, the Asgard, the two other races that were involved. And Robert's like, that's all great, but where does, how does it move the story forward? You know, <laughs> if, I mean, if you have to move the story forward. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a good point. You can't just tell a, a a history lesson just to fill in the mythology. You know they can't just bring the character back because it's a character that we love. The character has to have some utility on a story that's happening. So, and that's the classic challenge of storytelling since forever, right? Mm -hmm. Is how how do you move the story forward but give the exposition that you need to appreciate that movie for that move, moving forward? Otherwise, it's, you, then you get these scenes of exposition. Talking heads, exactly. Stuff. So yeah, I mean, Rob was right. he was right, absolutely right about that. <laughs> you know, and you have again, you have your production concerns too. You're like, true. man, this is such a great idea, but we've got three hours to get this shot, and we don't have in the budget for this other thing. And that character you wanted, well, that actor's not available because right. they're doing our this, sun's going down, time. or we're losing our, our, yeah, we're losing our crane shot. Oh, crane's gone. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jeez. yeah. 
Yeah. Erica Strom, which of your characters, Alexis, have you played that cap that you think captures you the closest? Oh, that's a I know, right? <laughs> I was that's like, a real, oh boy. I didn't I actually wasn't expecting that one to be as hard as it was until I just tried to think about it. Process um, it, yeah. Because there's so much of so many pieces of myself that mm -hmm. go into these characters. Um, so there's 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 an idea in our world of of us playing ourselves in the given circumstances. Mm -hmm. And, and this idea goes to, like, this is part of what makes it, uh, that's the step towards making something authentic, something organic, living in that moment, so that even though I've done the same action and said this line 12 times, mm. it's always as it was fresh the first time. Um, what I tend to do with the, my particular philosophy, and I think it's a philosophy thing because each actor has a different technique to get there, but philosophically, um, I consider us people as people, people are capable of anything in the given circumstances. Um, so like I spoke about my, my growing up in the Bronx and mm -hmm. what that meant to me. And right. And I made, there were a lot of choices that I made. There were different choices that I could have made that would have made, would have created a, a, a kind of Alexis that may or may not have survived his circumstances who may or may not have been, become um the good person alexis wants to be um we're all capable of it it's just a question of what the writer writes for us right so the way i look at it is our souls the empathy engine that we use that we remember there's a lot of mechanics in my had my visualization of it, but it's like a prism, a crystal prism. Okay. And this crystal prism, right? We all have it. We, this is our soul. Mm -hmm. In the one, there are many aspects. Right. And so it's simply a matter of, you know, when the light hits it this way, this is the character you're getting. If I move the light over here, you're going to get a different character, right? This object has not changed at all. This has, this has, where this is is what changes. And that's where you get a different version. This is why you can have Chlorel and Scara in the same person. Right. Right. Well, Connected. in that situation, it's, it's literally a different being. Literally but, in the same uh, but person. But they're, they're still using the same raw material at this point. Right, right. Well, and also, and, and in the, again, because there's a bit of fudging that we have to take between the real life in order to translate it for a screen in order for you on the other side to get an accurate representation of the real life that we're presenting through this very fake medium. <laughs> right. right. So there's, there's all these contradictions in the process. And that's where the challenge and the skill, I think, goes for, for everybody involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have this thing, you know, all you're doing is, is moving the, the circumstances and Chlorel and Scarl different. They were nemesi to each other. And in order to be nemesi, there has to be a common thread. And not just that literally we're in the same body, but there is something in their essence that is mm -hmm. the same, that speaks to one to the, to each other, right? That creates a dichotomy that that can't be resolved. That's interesting. That's drama. That's fascinating. We love to watch that kind of stuff. What happens next? 
Um, As so, yeah. So, so in that prism, so in terms of, I put so much of me into into everything that I do. Like, there's often times that I feel I felt that that what you see on screen is is some of the most honest moments I think I've ever had in my life. You know, because uh, you just you 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 have to squeeze everything that is real and honest and put this put it into a little box on display on this, you know. So, which means I have to edit that very carefully. In real very, time, very compress it, turn you know, really stuff it <laughs> with as much <laughs> real life for you to feel in within the boundaries of like the writer gave me two lines. <laughs> yeah, you still have right. to get all that in there, though. Right, right. I got to get a whole life in two lines. Matthew Hall actually said, "Was it difficult to mentally prepare for and to switch personality?" Uh, for the transitioning part in the role of Scara and Chlorel, I mean, was it, you know, f- finding that headspace? I mean, like I mentioned earlier, exciting, exhilarating. Uh, yeah, when I look back on it, not when I did it. <laughs> Jeez. Right. So, so, so that 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 idea of like being in, being able to look at it and be in the moment at the same time, being divorced and objective from yeah. it, right, uh, is super important to be able to do this. And so that was happening a lot, and thankfully. I have a skill at that. And my brain is actually very, my mind is actually very organized and, and I, I create a lot of categories for things all the time. And I will have competing and contradictory ideas sitting on top of each other, stacked and sometimes arguing in the gallery. That's normal for me in my head. So there was, uh, so, so there's this moment of I'm Scara, Scara's in charge. Right. But in my own head uh, and all this is fabricated, fabricated imagination in my head. In my head, there is a chloral figure voice looming over my presentness in Scara. And he's there and you can't see him and you can't tell he's there, but I feel that he's there. And then when it's chloral doing these things, it's the same thing that there's Scara in the background looming like a presence you know like a like an animal a pet that just can't walk into the room you know look at it but you you feel when your pet is in the room right yeah there's it's a presence kind of, like there. that that's that's that was what i was living in moment to moment if you, you want to sort of come mm-hmm. along with me on that trip like that's what it was constantly so in terms of the switching it was a matter of i feel slash visualize this switch just sort of come up uh, come on and Again, I am very, very specific. And as an actor, as a craftsman, I'm incredibly specific, super, super specific. Um, once I've plotted everything out and I've created the scene, I know exactly what breath, what tempo, what spot on the floor I'm going to hit, what light on which syllable of the word. Each and every single time, like I'm very specific. It's because it's like playing a, a, a it's a playing music, and you have to hit that note. You can't hit a different note, mm-hmm. right? If you're gonna play this song, I created this song, and I've composed and I've arranged this particular song, and to get that feeling, it's got to be It's got to be those notes. So I practice those notes emotionally, and I hit those notes here here, here, and I've already plotted out intellectually what those notes mean in the narrative, and it's going to 
reflect this thing and here's a foreshadowing, here's a callback, but I'm gonna express it by doing this way and then this way and this way. And it's very, 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 very specific. So that when it's time for Chlorel to come out on his line, it's not just, I'm not Chlorel. He's prepared in the moment before the end. It's the, it's all that moment was already there. I'm already working on that while Scar is so, Specific, specific, specific. So when you have these switches and these trains, it, it seemed effortless or it seemed connected, grounded, authentic. I hope. <laughs> you know, it's hard to talk about like what you hope <laughs> succeeded. <laughs> um, I hope y'all can agree that that's how it came off because that's what I was going for. Pretense was my favorite episode for a very long time. You know, it was yeah. it was a. Uh... It was tour de force for you, and it was a it was satisfying bit of justice for for a, a story arc that had that had gone on, you know, through since the beginning of the show at that point. Shane Pierce, if we want to take a, a left turn here, any pranking on sets of SG One or any general goofing off? Not by me. Um, uh, so I'm not I'm not much of a prankster. Okay. In general, um. Uh, I, I'm not a I'm not a good giver or a good getter. Um, <laughs> you know, I think like you know everybody generally knows me. I'm pretty chill and happy, but I'm just not a prankster. It's not my thing. Uh, most pranksters get to find out real fast that I'm not. I don't make a very good target. <laughs> I just don't. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I tend to take take things a little too seriously sometimes. Like. I don't know your joke and whatever, but that's part of, you know, my own issues of constantly being challenged when I'm just trying to go to the store for some milk, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's that kind of, so, um, like, just live with me, man. Stop. I've had too many bullies in my life mm. to make it easy for me to distinct, distinguish in the moment when someone's laughing with me. Or when they're trying to punk me. And I don't get punked. That's fair. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, it's weird because sometimes I'm like, I'm in that moment, things happen. I'm like, oh, I totally want to be here with you guys and laugh with you, but I don't find this funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to like just be chill and not lose. <laughs> so so yeah. I, I was never involved in the pranks. Um, other people were the pranksters. It's not my thing. I laughed along at some, some things when it was there. But again, I was there for a couple of days, you know, right? once or twice a year. So all of these stories that you guys hear are conventions. And there's tons of them. And that that life, well, and, and you want to hear more of it. Because I get to ask this question a lot. I, I wasn't there for that. I, miss, I wasn't there for that. You were there for your part and to do your job. Yeah, and that was... Um, well, and it just, it wasn't the tone of my relationship with anybody who was, who was there either. Like right. when it comes to my relationship with the other actors, with the cast, right? We all have um, the connections that we have, like, you know, what, how I'm connected to Chris is different than how I'm connected to, to Michael, right? Um, the, the manner of their friendships to me, uh, what they are, what I would talk to each of them about is different. You know, so I'm there for all of that, right? My love for Michael is there. You and I, right? We have this, whatever this relationship is going to be very different from 
a friend of yours from high school or a cousin, yeah. whatever. It's a right? different energy. It's just a different energy. Right. Right. Makes sense. Jacob Ulahars. I got a couple more and then we're going to let you go. Um, whatever happened to the Zippo? Did you get to keep it as a souvenir? I did get to keep it. I did get to keep it and I still have it. Is it within yep. reach? Or is it no, no, it's it's in my house in L.A. Uh, ah, it's not okay. I was like, I would love yeah. to have seen it. Oh, which no, reminds all me, all that stuff is still in L.A. Alexis, this is you're going to get tripped out by this. Either that, or you're going to be like, uh, what the heck? <laughs> Completely forgot. Fans are going to be like, ah. Oh! Do you know what this is? It's an eye of Ra. Well, yes. On... Yeah, just turn, turn it a little bit. Let me see how the light reflects. I can see what it is. I don't know what the object itself is supposed to be. So this is from Full Circle. Uh-huh. This is what killed your civilization. Uh, you'll have to explain. I just worked there, man. <laughs> So SG-1 is going to Abydos in full circle because they um, uh, they know that Anubis is on his way to get this. Ah, that's the thing he wanted. And right, when he right. got this, he completed the weapon and blew up Abydos. Right. So right. I've always meant to show this to you <laughs> because it's like a frowny face next to Scara. <laughs> oh, God. Um <laughs> Uh, Teresa McAllister, how did you like working with Eric Avari? Eric is great. I loved Eric. Yeah, we became friends immediately uh, and, and stayed friends since, you know. Uh, he's, he's, he's great. I mean, everything that you know about him is, and love is what I, I, I know. We got along instantly. And a part of that, too, was uh, the, the work, like really buckling down for the language mm. like studying that language was really where eric and i shined in in our our bonding together because we just took to it right away um eric speaks hindi yes that's his uh, other language i speak spanish but we both uh are very linguistic in, in in the sense that we pay attention to the dynamics and the rules of the language and we constantly compare our languages to english to see if we can get more insight. And, you know, we, we, we love playing with words and sounds. It's a thing about each of us in particular. So when we notice that the other has that too. Right. We were like, ah. Oh. You get and it, now man. we can really play. Yeah. And that's when those conversations would start happening where Eric and I would sit around and be in our chairs and we'd have conversations about the weather, about the day, our plans in ancient Egyptian. And we would practice it with this, you know, here's the word, here's the word. But there was so much of this other animation, these filling in the gaps in the conversation through body language and emoting. Mm. And again, part of how we discovered, oh, just like in English, you don't have to say the whole word. Sometimes you just contract it and add a physical movement. The other person gets the concept that you're going for. The conversation moves on. You save time. Right? 
that's how slang is born, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, understand these things. We got along really well. And that happens often to with actors, with artists in general. I think there's a, some of the, the best friendships, um, the most poignant ones are formed over the work. Not necessarily any other interest or hobby, but it's over the work and the respect that comes out of that because I respect how much he loves diving into that. I see the passion in him when he dives into it, you know? And I'm like, man, that dude's hardcore. I love that. And it makes you want to up and your he game. That in me. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I'm then how do you not become friends? Like then you wanna like each other. He's so soulful. He's he's so cool. Yeah, we've we've been in talks to get him on the show. Um, but he's like a proton. He's like you know, he's so hard to catch. So we'll we'll have him at some point. My friend, um, uh, Dr. Essex had a, a random question. The doctor in Star Trek Discovery, uh, any relation to Wilson Cruz? No, no okay. relation. <laughs> and there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Alexis Cruz, no. <laughs> My friend. Cruz, Cruz is a fairly common surname. Right. Um, but, and Wilson's great, just for the record. I'm, I'm a huge fan. And, and always have been back when, you know, um, before anybody knew anybody's name you know, we know each other here and there. So, because um, we all see each other auditions and different oh, things. Of course, people, yeah. As other people within the show. So, so I've always been a big fan. I think, we, you know, he's he's great. He's I'm really happy for him. I love to see the people that, um, that I was coming up with get their opportunity of to do course. that great work that we like, you know, when they, it's great. It's great. Yeah. That's, that's exciting right. to see people get, um, uh, what they're owed. So, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong. There, there are plenty of people out there who are negative about that same thing. Oh, they need to get what they're owed. But you know what? Talented people. Yeah, that's really cool. So. Well, and just to have the, the opportunity to to deliver everything that they've built up. So somebody like him, this is a great example on, on, on Discovery. Like there's, I can see a huge difference between his early work and what he's doing now. Um in that it, what he's doing, it's gotten richer. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's like a full-on adult, you know, like we, we, we knew each other when we were kids auditioning mm-hmm. and stuff. But, you know, as an adult with all his life experiences, and it, it comes through. There's a He's a grounded person, right? When he has his relationship with his husband mm-hmm. and all the things that happen, you just believe him that he's, he's a life lived and he's comfortable in his skin, Um so, you know, I, I might not have noticed that if I just didn't know him at all. And he's just like, here's a new person I've never seen or heard before and comes out and he does a great job. Great. Right. I liked it. I don't know why. But in this case, I, I, I have a point of reference. <laughs> and so it's, it's even more flavorful to me when I see it. I'm like, ah, you did it. You did it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it. That's right. My friend, it has been so wonderful to have you on. And uh, I would love to have you back because I, w- I want to go through uh, specific episodes and those character beats, that longer conversation um, that we had in New York that, that didn't make it to YouTube for whatever reason. I want to have that on YouTube and, uh, and really dig deep into what makes that character tick and the, the time that he lived with the demon and the the time that he got set free of his mortal bonds, so yeah, 
there's there's a lot there. There's a lot there to mine. Oh, oh God, I would love to get into that. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, Dad, you need to go back to being a dad. And um, I really appreciate you having you on, man. And uh, I'll be in touch with you. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up, but you take care of yourself, okay? All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone, Thanks for coming and being with us tonight. Appreciate it. Love you guys. You take care. Love you, man. Bye-bye. Thank you. Alexis Cruz, Scara. Thank you, everyone, for hanging on for... um, uh, this episode, this is, this is the third episode that I've recorded today. Whew. <laughs> so thankful to Alexis for, for, for his patience and, uh, for joining us. Um, I do have some Scara art that I'd like to show. Well, I mean, you could actually argue that it's Chlorel art, little daddy bear. There's a name, uh, Scara speed paint. So this was a speed paint. That blows me away. I was inspired by Scara, Little Daddy Bear says. I can't say I got the face right, but Lord knows I tried. But I still have a ways to go for working out values, but I think this is probably my best speed paint yet, especially considering that I went straight to painting instead of going with a sketch first. So, yes, my first sketch-free speed paint. Very nice. Chlorel from, I believe that would be within the Serpent's Grasp. It was a pleasure having uh, Alexis on. And thank you so much to everyone who uh, who asked your questions. I do have a couple here. Claire Burr, this was actually submitted from the previous episode. Is there a way to archive the live chat when the interviews are rebroadcasted? It feels like a big part of the community. I, for whatever reason, and if someone's out there who can figure this out, can email me at dialthegateshow at gmail.com with a way around it, I would be hugely thankful. I don't know of any way to do this. The the live chat is is so weird. It's like it disappears after a few days, and in some cases I can't get it to play at all after the show is ended. But sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong <laughs> to make it do whatever it's doing uh because it, I I'm pretty sure it's not designed to stay around forever. But after I finish uh a a chat Sometimes I can go back in and have it play back so that I can watch some of the comments myself as as an audience member. And sometimes it's not there. So if anyone has some insight, I've tried to Google it and I can't make heads or tails. So that's where it's at with that. Jeremy, was the Eye of Ra a real prop or a recreation? This is the original. Um, if you want a better look at it, because I was showing it off for Alexis. But that's... I acquired this uh, from a friend of mine. It's gotten a couple of of dings, unfortunately, um, over the years. But uh, it's definitely one of my favorite pieces in my collection. So uh, let me see here. Oh, before we go, I'm going to let you know about next week's guests. If I can find my buttons. Here we are. Jay Akavone will be joining us 11 a.m. Pacific time, Sunday, December the 6th to discuss Charles Kowalski. Jay, God bless his soul. You know, anytime I've called him, I I just got his cell phone number. I'll call him. Hey, how you doing? No, I'll be happy to do the show. Yeah, I'll be happy to be on it. And he's always been there for me. I love this guy. He's terrific. So he's joining us December 6th, 11 a.m. 1 p.m. 
December the 6th, Pacific Time, 1 p.m., Stargate Trivia. Round numero dos with Darren, who's going to be coming back to see if he can hold on to his title. And this time we're going to be joined by a third, Moderator Ian. He's going to be involved as well to kind of break things up. And you will be involved as well. If you show up live, ask us Stargate trivia questions. Summer will be in the um, in the chat, and also her voice will be kind of over us, among us, in the Zoom call to read us your questions. So when we are finished with our line of questioning, we are going to go into yours. And your questions, your Stargate, hard Stargate questions, will make up the... Um, uh, we'll, we'll make up who wins and who loses the Stargate trivia battle. So be there to uh, join uh, join us and ask your Stargate trivia Sunday, December the sixth at one p.m. No number questions, please. You know the, 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 how much Jack owed you know, General Hammond, you know, with interest in nineteen sixty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone who who knows that. Who knows the answer to that? But yeah, have your hard have your hard um, trivia questions ready for all three of us, and Summer will be dishing those out to us uh, next week. So, David Nickel, Radic Zelenka, you asked. And here he is. He wasn't going to be in Wave 1 originally. I had him at the top of the list for Wave 2. And uh, fans were like, yeah, bring David on. And I'm like, yeah, he's he's in the works. They're like, no, you don't understand. We want him now. It's like, oh, okay. So I reached out to him and said, I'll be there. So David, Sunday, December the 6th at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we'll be back to discuss Radic Zelenka. And his experiences on Stargate Atlantis, and potentially Arrow or some of his other shows, You Have Failed the City. So thanks again to Alexis, and thanks to my moderating team, Summer, Ian, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy. You guys are rock stars. Jennifer Kirby, who's been creating uh, some memes for the social media channels. Linda Gategabber Fury, uh, my right hand. I, I could not be doing this uh, without her. And um, I'm also going to be bringing on a couple of other people to help me with some of the uh, the video editing as well. So those those talks are are happening. I think that that's pretty much it. Um, the sun has finally set. There's no light left in this world, at least on our side of it. So uh, next week we've got the three uh, different shows. Thanks again to Alexis, to Rachel uh, Luttrell. And to Julie McNiven, wonderful day of programming. And thank you so much for hanging on and contributing, making this uh, this program uh, possible and really special. I'm very grateful to uh, to all of you. And it's it's no it's 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 always surprising to me how many people are are uh, continually following this franchise and this this particular program. You know, we're just a few weeks old and I'm very, very proud of the numbers that we've been doing so. My name is David Reed. I appreciate you tuning in for Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. 
The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>